ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Tereden bab kavlillahi teala yuriduna en yubeddilu kelamallah. And also la kavlun fasl hakkun ve ma huwa bilhazl billaib. This chapter is carrying on from the topic that has been spoken about for a few sessions now. And that was regarding the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We've mentioned many a time before that we affirm the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of the names and attributes that Allah has mentioned in the Quran, in the Sunnah, then we affirm what Allah has affirmed for himself. As Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, Nasifullaha bima wasafa bihi nafsah. We attribute to Allah that which he attributed to himself. And also that we negate from Allah that which he negates from himself. So in the Quran, in the Sunnah, you see that there are names and attributes that Allah affirms for himself. And there are also aspects that Allah negates from himself. Whatever Allah affirms for himself in the Quran and Sunnah, then we affirm that. And whatever Allah negates from himself, then we negate that. For example, لَا تَأْخُذُهُ that sleep nor slumber overcomes Allah. Allah negates that from Himself, so we negate that from Allah. We mentioned before our understanding of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is based upon what Allah has informed us about Himself. Whatever Allah has told us about Himself in the Quran, in the Sunnah, that's all we can say. We cannot imagine things for Allah. We cannot make up new ideas for Allah, that Allah is maybe this or that. That is impossible, we cannot do that. The people of innovation who went astray, they are the ones who began using their imaginations. They began inventing new ideas, new thoughts, new imagination, that Allah may be this, Allah may be that. But Ahlul Sunnah, what we find in the Quran, what we find in the Sunnah, in Allah describing or mentioning His attributes to us, then that is what we affirm. And what Allah negates, that's what we negate. Here we've been talking about the attribute of speech. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the attribute of speech. And that the Quran is the speech of Allah. It is not something created. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke the Quran and when Ibrahim السلام, was debating with the Mushrikeen at his time, one of the evidences he used against them and their worship of those idols and statues was the fact that their idols and statues could not speak. Ibrahim السلام, he used that as a rebuke, as a refutation upon them that their so-called gods, their so-called deities, 
cannot hear, cannot speak, then how are they to answer your dua? How are they to have any control or power or ability? And they cannot hear and they cannot speak. So we've been talking about the attribute of speech to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this chapter and the following ahadith, they continue to discuss this topic further and to give more evidences regarding it. So here you have the ayah. يُرِيدُونَ أَيُّ بَدِّلُوا كَلَامَ اللَّهِ That Allah tells us they want to change, to alter the speech of Allah. Right at the beginning of our studies of this book, we spoke about this issue and a few times in between we've mentioned it too. That the people of innovation when it comes to the names and attributes of Allah, one of the things that they fall into is tahrif, that they try to distort the meanings of what is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, so that it will match what they've already decided in their minds needs to be the truth. They already decide in their minds what needs to be the truth, how it needs to be understood. Then they'll distort the texts to make it fit with what they've already decided on. And that is how the scholars mention that the people of innovation have the principle taqdeemul aql ala naql that they give priority to their intellects over and above what is in the texts. So we've done a few examples of that. We've done some examples of that. One of them was, for example, Istawa. When we spoke about Allah being above the throne, that Allah is the most high, Above the creation, separate and distinct from this creation. Not everywhere in one entity, the creator, the creation. Not everywhere here, but above all of this creation. Above all of the heavens and the earth. And that is mentioned in the Quran. When Allah tells us in multiple places about al-istiwa. That Allah rose above and he is above the throne. But the people of innovation, what did they do? They attempted to say that the word istawa actually means and what is intended is istawla, which meant to conquer. They say that means Allah conquered the creation, conquered the heavens and the earth. And it doesn't mean istawa, meaning irtafa'a, or, or uh, the ulu, that Allah rose above and Allah is high and above the creation. They don't want to affirm Allah is above. They want to say Allah is everywhere. So they say the meaning of that is conquering. Allah isn't above actually, it just means Allah conquered everything. And of course we explained that before, that it is absolute deviation. There was another example we came across regarding Musa alayhi salam. وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to Musa in the reality of speech, spoke to Musa. But then what do they do in their distortion and alteration? They say, it doesn't mean Allah spoke to Musa, it means Musa spoke to Allah. They don't want to affirm that Allah spoke to Musa. So they say, okay, Musa spoke to Allah, but did Allah speak to Musa though? That, they say, we don't know. No, we can't affirm that. They don't want to affirm the attribute of speech. So, كَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا 
They say it's actually kalamallaha Musa taklima, changing that one slight sound and therefore changing the meaning. Here Allah says, Yuriduna ayyubaddilu kalamallah. That they want to change and alter the meanings of the speech of Allah. Because even though they may not be able to physically change the speech of Allah, they cannot physically try to change the Qur'an and the words, because the Qur'an, it is memorized in the chests of mankind, it is known, it is narrated with chains of narration, they are not going to be able to come and change the Qur'an physically, but what they try and do, is to say that this ayah and this word, it means X, Y, and Z and something else and something else. Distorting the meanings and changing the meanings from what the reality of the meanings is. So that is what they attempt to do. But, as Shaykh al he mentions, that kalamullah, it is an affirmation of the speech of Allah, and of course we know that we affirm what Allah affirms and we do not attempt to distort or alter or change or put our own interpretations onto it. إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلٌ فَصْلٌ وَالْقَوْلُ لَا يَكُونُ إِلَّا كَلَامًا فَصْلٌ يعني حَقٌ أو قَالَ حَقٌ والصحيح أنه أعم من كلمة حق يعني يفصل بين الحق والباطل وبين المسلمين والمجرمين وفي كل شيء نحتاج إلى فصل Allah has told us also regarding his speech that it is قول فصل إنه لقول فصل that the statement of Allah again affirming the speech of Allah is a statement of فصل الإمام البخاري said meaning حق that the speech of Allah, the statement of Allah is truth. As Shaykh al said, it can even mean a broader meaning than that. That the statement of Allah is fasl, meaning the criteria that distinguishes between truth and falsehood, that distinguishes between the Muslims and the Mujrimun, the wrongdoers, the Mushrikun. So that is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that distinguishes and makes clear the truth from falsehood. And the statements of Allah, the speech of Allah is not al-hazl, meaning futile and of no benefit and of no use. That is not what the speech of Allah is, it is not playing around. It is jid, wa hazm, wa quwa, wa izzah. It is something serious and uh, something that is not playing around. It is of strength and seriousness and honor and power. Wa kullu man tamassaka bil Quran, fa'innahu sawfa takunu haluhu hadihi al and everybody who clings on to the Qur'an, then he similarly will find these characteristics in him. He will find the characteristics of seriousness in him, as opposed to the one who plays around all the time. He will find characteristics of strength and power and honor, dignity in him as opposed to the one who abandons the Qur'an and does not have those types of characteristics in him. The seriousness in a person, it comes from the effects of the Qur'an upon him, from the impact of the Qur'an and its meanings upon him, that he is serious and not playing around all the time. We were mentioning last week about the football thing, how some of the students, they refuse to play football. They would say, it's not befitting. 
a student of knowledge running around, I'd rather be working. And incidentally, a Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al Abbad was asked, incidentally, coincidentally, just a couple of weeks ago, he was asked by the students in Medina, Sheikh, what do you think about this football tournament that is coming up? There was a football tournament right now these days or something coming up in the University of Medina. So they asked him, Sheikh, what do you think about participating in the football tournament? So Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, he said, لا, لا أنصحكم بذلك. No, I don't, I don't advise you to go and play football in the tournament. كونوا من أهل الجد ولا تكونوا من أهل اللعب. That was his words. Be from those who are serious, not from those who play around. That doesn't mean like we explained before that it's haram to play football. But all we're saying is that a person needs to have a level of seriousness about him. Needs to have a level of seriousness about his life, about studying, about knowledge, about learning the Quran, about learning the Sunnah. It is not just all playing around. It's not just relaxation and laughing and food together and going out. That isn't the life of a believer. The believer needs to have some level of seriousness about things. Seriousness in his studying, in his knowledge, in his learning, in his memorizing. The ones who don't, who take this as some type of a joke or some type of light-hearted thing, now and again will read the Qur'an once a, a month or once a year. Maybe there are some who have not read the Qur'an for 10 months now. And they are waiting another two months till May when they are going to open up the Qur'an again for Ramadan. Perhaps there are some who find themselves in that type of state. That they have not read the Qur'an for 10 months now since Ramadan finished. And they're not going to for another two months until Ramadan comes again. If that is the state of a person, then as Sheikh Al-Fawzan said, you have to a degree fallen into the prohibition of being from those who have made hajar of the Qur'an. You have abandoned the Qur'an. So a believer needs a level of seriousness about him. You cannot just be laughing and joking all of the time. There has to be some seriousness in studying, in knowledge, in the way that a person carries himself in his behavior. Nothing wrong with joking around now and again. Nothing wrong with some lightheartedness. Nothing wrong with that. The Prophet ﷺ used to have times of some lightheartedness with the companions. The scholars from the past up until now, it is noted how they would have some lightheartedness with their students. They would have some jokes now and again with their students. It's mentioned about Sheikh bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, how he would joke with his students. On one occasion, he was asked about multiple marriage. That a student was asking, or the topic came up about a person, a brother, marrying more than one wife. So there was an individual who only had one wife. And he joked with the sheikh, he said, Sheikh, but I am a person of tawheed when it comes to marriage. He said, I am a person of tawheed when it comes to marriage. Tawheed means singling out, making one and unique. He said, I'm a person of tawheed, Sheikh, when it comes to marriage. Only the one wife. So the sheikh replied back. He said, that is the tawheed of the brothers who are scared. The tawheed of the brothers who are scared, they only marry once. So he would joke with the students in that way. Obviously that type of joke may not be funny for a certain section of the attendees, but that was a type of joke, lightheartedness with the students that he would sometimes have. They mentioned another time he was sitting down in a, a villa type of event, they have those villa events where they hire out like a villa or out in the desert. Uh, um, unofficial type of event. It's not formal. So the sheikh was there and some of his students and others were there. 
and the time for the prayer came, so the Shaykh was going to go and make wudu, his headscarf, they say, just a narration they mention about his and his mannerisms with the students, he took his headscarf off to go and make the wudu, he took it off and he gave it to the student next to him, he said, just hold on to this, and then as he was going, he said, it's not a gift or anything, I'm coming back for it, just hold on to it for a second. Light-hearted jokes that you would maybe have now and again. So there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. But all that is being said is, a believer needs to have a serious sight. You cannot just be joking and light-hearted your whole life and that's you. Then when are you going to be serious about studying, serious about memorizing, serious about knowledge? It requires that seriousness in a person too. Cannot just be relaxing and joking around all of the time. So here as Shaykh al mentions, you will gain those kinds of characteristics of seriousness when you read the Qur'an and you focus on it and you study it and you give importance and time to it. Then after that, Al-Imam Al-Bukhari says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الْحُمَيْدِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الزُّهْرِ عَنْ سَعِيدِ بْنِ الْمُسَيِّبِ عَنَ بِهُرَيْرَةِ قَالَ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى يُؤْذِينِ بْنُ آدَمْ يَسُبُّ الدَّهْرِ وَأَنَا الدَّهْرِ بِيَدِ الْأَمْرِ أُقَلِّبُ اللَّيْلَ وَالنَّهَارِ In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that Allah said, so that is essentially a type of hadith Qudsi. Hadith Qudsi, that is the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ is narrating directly from Allah, the Prophet says, Allah said, and then the hadith. So here that's what's happened. The Prophet says, Allah said, and then the narration of the hadith. So that is from Allah directly, Prophet narrating from Allah directly that hadith. That is known as a hadith Qudsi. Qudsi, Quds meaning sacred. A sacred type of hadith. Because it is narrated by the Prophet from Allah. But there are of course differences between this and the Qur'an. Can we say this is therefore Qur'an? It's the Prophet ﷺ narrating from Allah. The speech of Allah directly. Is it therefore the same as the Qur'an? If, if not, then why not? Here the Prophet ﷺ is narrating directly from Allah. That Allah said and then the words. Which is the Qur'an. That's what Allah said. The speech of Allah. So is there a difference? And what is the difference then? Between Hadith Qudsi and Qur'an. What are the differences? Hadith Qudsi, it is not recited and rewarded upon its recitation like the Qur'an is. You cannot recite the words of a Hadith Qudsi in place of a Surah in the prayer. So there is no recitation of a Hadith Qudsi in that way. There is no uh, reward mentioned in the same way as reciting the Qur'an and the rewards of the letters of the Qur'an. So yes, it is Hadith Qudsi, the Prophet narrating it from Allah. But it's not to be said that this is the same in the rulings as the Qur'an. Here Allah says then, Ibn Adam, the sons of Adam, mankind, they harm me, meaning that they speak wrong and do injustice by abusing or cursing time. By cursing time. Because I am, the word used in Arabic for the time in this context, Ad-Dahr. I am the one who has the control of all of the affairs. All of the affairs are in the control of Allah. I rotate and alternate the night and the day. This hadith 
It is mentioned in the chapters of Tawheed as a topic of Tawheed that it is a deficiency in the Tawheed of a person that he curses time. That he curses time. Like the Mushrikun who used to say, nothing brings us to death except the passing of time. Time passes by and it kills us and then we rot in our graves. It is just time. And other forms of criticism or statements that people may make against time. Allah says, Anadahar. That I am this Adahar referring to the time here. What's the meaning of that? When a person says, or abuses time or curses time, a particular day perhaps, a particular week perhaps. He says that was a black day in history. That was a terrible day. Statements of this nature, when the person intends the abuse against time, that that day it was a horrible and terrible day and that day it did this to me and that to me in that day. Obviously that day, that period of time has done nothing to you. Rather what happened in that day and in that period of time was decreed by Allah. So if you curse that period of time, then in reality your curse is returning back and your abuse is returning back to the Creator of that period of time and what happened within it, which is Allah. So it's a deficiency in the Tawheed of a person that he curses time. Time is not what has done this or that to you. Rather, that is the decree of Allah. Biyadi al-amr. Everything is in the control of Allah, in the decree of Allah. And that is the purpose here in this chapter, to highlight that you cannot change the speech of Allah, as the previous section highlighted. You cannot change the meanings of the speech of Allah, because Allah, He is the one who has everything in His control. Allah is the one that has everything under His control. So the one who curses or abuses time or anything else from the creation in that way, then that abuse or curse of time, of the year, of the month, of the day, then it is returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of that time and what happened in that time. Then after that, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو نُعِيمٌ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا لَعَمَشْ عَنَ أَبِي صَالِحٍ عَنَ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةٍ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ قَالَ يَقُولُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَسَّوْمُ لِي وَأَنَا أَجْزِي بِهِ يَدَعُ شَهْوَتَهُ وَأَكْلَهُ وَشُرْبَهُ مِنْ أَجْلِي وَالسَّوْمُ جُنَّةِ وَلِلصَّائِمِ فَرْحَتَانِ فَرْحَةٌ حِينَ يُفْطِرْ وَفَرْحَةٌ حِينَ يَلْقَى رَبَّهُ وَلَخَلُوفُ فَمِ الصَّائِمِ أَطْيَبُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ رِحِ الْمِسْكِ This narration, put your hands up if you heard it before. Should be more than that. The, the translation of which is that Allah says, fasting is for me and I will reward for it. The person, he leaves his desire and his food and his drink for my sake. And fasting is a protection. And for the fasting person, there are two times of joy. A time of joy when he opens the fast. And a time of joy when he meets his Lord. And the 
the smell that comes from the mouth of a fasting person is more fragrant with Allah than the, the, the smell of musk, the beautiful fragrance. This narration, you will have heard of it before. We cover it every Ramadan. So this narration, it highlights firstly several points in terms of the explanation of it. Allah says firstly that fasting is for me and I will reward upon it. And there are other narrations indicating this meaning also, that the reward of fasting is unrestricted. Fasting which is coming up now, a few weeks away. Fasting, the reward of it is unrestricted. What does that mean? How, relatively speaking, in the context of other worship, because other worship, it is mentioned in the narrations that Allah rewards a person for every good deed by ten times more up to seven hundred times more for every good deed except fasting. Because fasting is not restricted in that boundary that is mentioned there for other acts of worship. So fasting is rewarded by Allah with an unrestricted, limitless reward that can be given, an amount that can be given to the person. And then Allah mentions, That a person leaves his desire and his food and his drink for my sake. Uh, and that fasting is a junnah. It is a protection. It is a guard for a person. Guards you from the evil, protects you from the evil and from the affairs of haram and desires and food and drink and other things that are not permissible during the time of fasting and outside of it for some of the things. And a fasting person has two times of joy. One at the time of opening the fast and one at the time of meeting his Lord, meaning on the day of judgment. Why does he have these two times of joy? Why is there a time of joy when he opens the fast? Because he was hungry, so now you can eat. That's why a person who's fasting is going to be happy at the time of opening the fast. Correct? That is part of it, no doubt. But there needs to be a slightly expanded explanation upon it. It's not just the fact that you can now eat which makes you happy. It is the fact that you have been able, Allah has given you the ability to have managed the act of worship and completed it. When you're going to open your fast and eat now, you have done your fast for the day, you've managed it, you've completed it. So that's a time of joy for you, especially now, 18 hours. 18 hours of fasting when you come to open your fast now, it is a time of joy that you managed to do that act of worship for Allah. You managed it for the whole day and you completed it and you opened it. When you look at the example of the Scandinavian countries, the scholars, they were asked, Scandinavian countries that have even less than us. Our sunrise maybe, or, or the time starts maybe 2.33 a.m., 3.30 a.m., finishes maybe 9, 9.30 p.m., 18 hours approximately. In the heat or in the peak of the season, in Scandinavia, it's mentioned in the fatwa when they ask the scholars, the permanent committee or others, that the Maghrib, is approximately 11.30 p.m. or something, their Maghrib, and their Fajr starts at roughly 12.45 or something. From sunset to sunrise is barely just over an hour or so, a couple of hours at most. So then they ask the scholars, what do we do about fasting? Sunset is maybe 11, 11.30 p.m., sunrise is 12.30 a.m., 
There's barely an hour, an hour and a half, 90 minutes at most. So what do we do about fasting? Because from sunset to sunrise, 90 minutes, you got to do your maghrib, you got to open your fast, you got to pray your isha, then the sunnah of the taraweeh, then fajr, all in 90 minutes. And then start fasting again for 23 hours, 22 and a half hours. So they said, what do we do? So what do they do? Fast? That's it? Anything else? Make hijrah. Make hijrah to a country. Unless you follow the deviated fatawa of some of the people here, some of the Ikhwanis or Sufis or whoever they are. They say, look, in the UK now in summer, 18, 19 hours, not possible. So then you don't need to make hijrah. They give the fatwa. You can just follow the timetable of Mecca. Some of them give the fatwa inverted commas, fatwa, that you can follow the timetable of Makkah. Of course, we know in Makkah, Maghrib is going to be around about all year round, 6 p.m.-ish, give or take here and there. And Fajr is going to be 5 a.m., give or take here and there. So now they're going to be closing their fast when it's practically the middle of the day here in summer, 5 a.m., bright light, as bright as you can get. And they're going to be opening their fast when everybody else is just about maybe coming out of the mosque after their Asr prayer, middle of the day. So in Scandinavia though, when they ask the scholars, of course that is complete falsehood, you cannot do that. In Scandinavia then when they ask the scholars, what do they say to them? They said, yes, if you have a 24-hour day, meaning within a 24-hour time period, there is a sunset and there is a sunrise. There is a sunset and there is a sunrise that occurs within the boundaries of 24 hours. It just about does. In Scandinavia, when they were talking about that question, in those areas, it just about does. Sun sets... 11.30 p.m., rises 12.30 a.m., 1 a.m. So within 24 hours, they do have a sunset and they do have a sunrise. Scholar said, as long as you have a sunset and a sunrise, you have a day, which means you can fast because the ruling of fasting is from the time of Fajr entering, which it therefore is, to the sun setting, which is occurring so you have what you need in terms of the rulings to be able to fast so you have to fast and pray your prayers pray your prayers in their times and this is one of the evidences used by the scholars uh, or mentioned alongside this evidence regarding the issue of the prayers in the summer and combining maghrib and isha the scholars who say you do not do that, then they give this type of explanation. They say, look, the fasting isn't going to change because there's only one and a half hours of night. You're going to pray your maghrib at 11.30 p.m. You're going to do your isha somewhere in there in that time, however it allows. You're going to do your fajr in that time, however it allows. And you're going to pray your prayers. And you're going to fast your fast. Scholars did say, though, in that same fatwa, anybody who is incapable of doing so, because many people may not be able to manage a fast of 23 hours or they may not be able to manage it regularly for the period of a month. So then what happens? Then what happens? And that's the same as the fatwa I mentioned before. They're going to open their fast when it's sunrise and... Huh? At some other time, what do you mean? Some other time of the year. Correct. If a person is incapable of doing it, we mention all of this every year in the fiqh course we do for Ramadan. If you're unable to fast, for whatever reason, and in this case, it basically comes under the fold of medical reason. 
a person who cannot fast 23 hours, it's because their body can't take it. So it comes under the general fold of a medical reason why you cannot fast. So in that case, you're allowed to miss if you have a genuine reason like that where you're unable to fast. And then what do you do? It's not a permanent illness. It was temporary. You therefore have to make it up. And there is no restriction upon when you make it up. Now in the summer, it's still going to be 17 hours, 18 hours this year. If you missed some days for whatever reason, you don't have to make up days that are also 17, 18 hours. You can make up in winter when it's only 8 hours. It's allowed. You have made up a day. Whether it's a short day or a long day, you have made up a day for a day, regardless of the length of the days. So then they said to them, whoever can't can make up afterwards. So when you open your fast, you have the gratitude to Allah that you've been able to fast. And that your reward will be with Allah. And that follows on to the second point, that you have a time of joy when you meet Allah, because now you're going to be given the reward of that fasting that you did. You're going to be given the reward of that fasting that you did. And there are many rewards mentioned for those who fast. Sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Mentions about the gate in paradise There's a gate, a door in paradise Only people who fast The ones who used to fast Will enter in from that door From that gate Known as the gate of Al-Rayyan Inna fil jannati baban Yuqalu lahu al-Rayyan La yadkhulu minhu illa sa'imun there is a door or a gate in paradise known as Ar-Rayyan. Nobody enters in from it except those who fast. And as Shaykh Al-Thameen rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned a possible reason why it's called Ar-Rayyan. And that was What is the reason why the gate in paradise where the fasting people enter in from only is known as Ar-Rayyan. Why is that door called Ar-Rayyan? Anybody put your hands up and speak up with a loud voice. Go on then, loud voice, you answer with confidence. What quenches the thirst? What quenches the thirst? What do you mean quenches the thirst? For those who are fasting, but what, how, quenches the thirst, what do you mean? They go in and then their thirst is quenched or what? The word Ar-Rayyan means what? You're saying that like you're asking a question again. <laughs> That's what it is. Ar-Rayyan, as Shaykh al mentioned, one of its root meanings in the Arabic language is the quenching of thirst, which is obviously very relevant to the ones who used to fast. So the door is known as Ar-Rayyan because that word has a meaning in its roots for quenching the thirst. And that is what the fasting people required afterwards to quench their thirst. Hence the door is known as Rayyan from that meaning of quenching the thirst of the fasting people. So in this hadith, it mentions those points and that is the, the fiqh of the hadith generally or the explanation of it. But what is the shahid here that we need? What is the reason why this hadith about fasting is in this chapter of the speech of Allah? The last line of the hadith we missed as well. The, 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 uh, the smell in the mouth of a fasting person is more beloved to Allah than the smell of beautiful fragrance of misk. What does that mean? When a person fasts, what happens to the smell in your mouth? No food and drink for many hours. What happens to the taste in your mouth and the smell in your mouth? It goes good or bad? 
He goes, but you get a type of distinct taste in your mouth from a lack of food or water or liquids. After many hours, a lack of that gives a certain taste in your mouth and a certain smell in your mouth, which is not a positive taste or smell. Yet in this hadith, it says that is more beloved to Allah than even the beautiful misk fragrance. How can that be when we think that is not a good smell that occurs? When you've not had food and drink for a long time, your mouth is dry. Why is it more beloved to Allah than even the beautiful fragrance of misk? Looks like everybody's ready for the fiqh of Ramadan course again this year. Because that change in your mouth, that dryness and that smell, it's happened why? How has that occurred? As a consequence of you doing the worship of fasting. So it is a consequence of worship. And therefore it is beloved to Allah. That has occurred because of your sincere ibadah to Allah. You stopped your drink, you stopped your water, and so this change has occurred in your mouth, which you do not consider as good, but it is beloved to Allah because of the reason why it has occurred within you. So the point to round off then, why is this narration here? What is the shahid? Again at the beginning it mentions that it is a hadith Qudsi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and all of this Allah is saying it, وَأَنَا أَجْزِي بِهِ And I will reward that person for this and for that. So that is also again affirming the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll round off on that one for today. Resume again in two weeks time. Next week is off. And next week is off because it is the Cardiff Conference. So that is going to be two days, Friday and Saturday, 15th and 16th, 15th and 16th of March, next Friday and Saturday. And all of the, the, the speakers, the du'at will be there, maybe some links as well, two-day conference, Friday and Saturday in Cardiff, uh, with the brothers there at Merkaz al-Tawheed, uh, the masjid in Cardiff. So you should try and make an effort to attend in Cardiff next weekend, Friday and Saturday, or whichever day you're able to go. The du'at from the UK, all of them will be there lecturing. Also, Ustav Hassan al-Sumali will be there, currently residing in America. He will be giving lectures too in person. So everybody try and make an effort for that next weekend, inshallah ta'ala. We'll be back here then, insha'Allah, in two weeks' time to carry on with the next section of this book. Anything to add? Any questions? The last week's homework, yeah. Oh, that's something else. Anything else? Not privately, afterwards now. Anything else? Any questions? Anything to add? Can you use miswak during fasting? Anybody? You can do it. You can use siwak whilst you're fasting. Everybody agree? No? It is permissible to use miswak whilst you are fasting. There is nothing wrong with that at all. A person can use it. The scholars do say though, you should avoid flavored ones. Scholars do mention that. It is mentioned in some of their fatawa. Avoid the flavored ones. Because clearly then when you're, you're swallowing the saliva, etc. You're getting a clear flavor of something. So they say avoid the flavored ones. But the plain miswak, no problem in using that when you're fasting. Anything else? Well, it's not everybody. The state of the Muslims now, 
There are many people who are disobedient to Allah. There are many people who do not fast. Many people who miss it. Many people who make excuses. So it's not going to be everyone. And then on top of that, as the Salaf used to say, it's not about you doing the action. Many people may do the action, you're right. But it's not just about doing the action. It's about whether your deeds and your actions are accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala depending on what your sincerity was and how genuine and sincere you were in your worship. So there will be only some who fall into that type of category. It will not be everybody. Anything else? Are there different levels of hell? Because we know there are different levels of paradise. There are different levels of paradise. Are there different levels of hell? Yes? Somebody give him a prize afterwards. It's not a joke. Get something off them. So, paradise, we know it is levels. Hellfire, the scholars, they mention, you don't say it's levels, because levels seems to indicate one level above another level, above another level, you go up in levels. They say hellfire isn't levels, but it's pits going down. One pit lower than another pit, another pit lower, another pit lower, it goes down in pits. And the evidence for that as well, that it goes down in pits. The evidence. But how does that show that there's different pits? Could be one big pit. How or where is the evidence that hellfire is pits? Not necessarily mentioning that there are seven pits, but an evidence showing that hellfire is pits. Inna al I was just about to say that's the homework for there, and now you said it. Inna al-munafiqina fi dark al-asfali min al-nar. The hypocrites are in the lowest. Pits of the hellfire, the lowest pit of the hellfire. So there are obviously pits of hellfire. We'll round off on that for tonight then. In uh, two weeks' time, we'll resume, inshallah ta'ala.